Hello, and welcome to Before the Sermon or After. I am Pastor Matt, and this is the official podcast for Grace and Hope Lutheran Church. This week, we continue to look at the text from Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11. And tonight we are taking it from the Revised English Bible, which is an Anglican uh, translation. Take to heart among yourselves what you find in Christ Jesus. He was in the form of God, yet he laid no claim to equality with God, but made himself nothing, assuming the form of a slave. Bearing the human likeness, sharing the human lot, he humbled himself and was obedient, even to the point of death, death on a cross. Therefore God raised him to the heights and bestowed on him the name above all names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and in the depths, and every tongue acclaim Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So I know last week we touched just a little bit there on that uh, fifth verse, the first one that we read, and how to sort of look at and sort of translate it. Because there is a verb missing in the Greek manuscript that needs to be put in there, that we need to put in in English into that particular verse. And different versions choose different ways to do that. And so that's kind of why we have been going through the different various translations. So last week was the Common English Bible, and this week is the Revised English Bible. And I'm not expecting you to remember what was read last week, but you can go back and watch the video if you want to, or just take my word on it that last week it was in, or be, have the mind that is in Christ Jesus. So really sort of going with that imitation theme, we're here, take to heart among yourselves what you find in Christ Jesus. A slightly different kind of translation there, as opposed, as opposed to a form of the verb to be. And how we kind of understand this first verse, and this isn't the only thing, but kind of how we understand that this first verse of tonight's reading really oftentimes sort of determines the pattern in which we look at the rest of this hymn from Philippians. I'm going to set this down. There are sort of three main ways of doing that. One is to see it as an example, kind of as an ethical model where we are to be basically imitators of Christ. And there's a lot going for that particular translation or understanding of this hymn, but it doesn't necessarily take into account the last half. Those verses must be 9 through 11. And it also, I think, kind of portrays a sense of naive idealism. Because I don't think God really asked us to do the same things that Jesus did. And in fact, in some ways, what the hymn here in Philippians is saying, we as human beings can. If we think we can, that's usually where we have gone off the path. And things go awry very quickly. 
A second way of kind of looking at this particular passage, and this one is somewhat close to the first one, is rather than seeing Jesus as kind of the example or this hymn as sort of the example by which we are to sort of live an ethical life, it is to see Jesus more as an exemplar. And the hymn that is being talked about then as sort of an exemplar. And by exemplar, I sort of mean something that's kind of not abstract or very model specific. Um, it's not about sort of following a, a uh, defined set of laws, but instead is kind of in some ways maybe more about the attitude or the spirit. Uh, and so in that understanding, it's not imitate Jesus in what he actually did, but to kind of take that sort of same sense of attitude in life in general. And so it would be one that kind of is looking at sort of being humble, uh, of not sort of using our places of privilege for our own benefit, um, and kind of along those lines, as opposed to here's sort of a set of laws to follow. And then there's sort of the third. And the third is, I think, the best one because it does take into account sort of the entire hymn here in um, Philippians. And here, and I think here we aren't worried about using either as an example or exemplar, but instead the hymn is declaring an event that happened. And I think the thing, the, the thing for Paul is that this isn't just an ordinary event. This is a very specific, very life-changing event that has happened once. And so in that way, Christ sort of becomes obedient. And then we get that last half of the hymn where Christ is now exalted over the world. And the presence status as Lord, having subdued all the cosmic forces that trouble and distress humans. And that, I think, is really how Paul views the entire Christ event, that in Jesus something happened that has transformed not just his understanding of the world, but the world itself. It speaks of nothing sort of less than the end of the old age, when humanity is under the dominion of evil forces. And a lot of this is coming from sort of a German uh, New Testament scholar by the name of uh, Casement. In the beginning of a new age, or a new eon, where all the hostile powers have been defeated. And when we begin to look at this hymn in this way, I think a lot of other things in Paul begin to make sense. Paul has this very kind of apocalyptic understanding of the world, where there have been sort of two ages. That first age was the one before Christ. And this also kind of allows us to work with what Paul oftentimes is accused of not including, that is Jesus' life. Paul talks very little about the actual things that Jesus does in his letters. He talks a lot about the cross 
and a lot about resurrection, but not about any of the miracles or the feeding of the 5,000 or any of the ethical teachings that he has. But if we understand this, if we understand the Christ event in terms of sort of this apocalyptic understanding that I think Paul has, then Jesus' life isn't just sort of left off, but is included in this entire thing. And so Paul's not dismissing what Jesus did in person. Because I think Paul holds a, that whole holistic understanding of what God is doing in Jesus. And so that then would include Jesus' life, which is summarized in the first half of this hymn. That, he, that Jesus was uh, essentially at the same level of God, but didn't exploit that. And instead, used essentially that equality with God for the sake of others. Even to the point of death on the cross. A death that comes because the world, and in particular Rome, cannot handle that way Jesus' way of life in this world. But Rome doesn't have that final say. Death doesn't have that final say. Instead, it is God who has that final say. And God raises Jesus back up, bringing Jesus to that same exaltation, saying that the, what Jesus has done is, in fact, the way that God had intended things to be from the very beginning. And that, for Paul at least, changes how he sees the world, changes who and what God is doing. And so that is why Paul is so adamant about getting out to the Gentiles. It's not because he has given up on his fellow Jews. He hasn't. And in fact, I think he sees them as being part of this sort of design plan already. For Paul, who is well steeped in the scriptures of Isaiah, understands that what had been, what the prophets had foretold eons ago, is now, has now come to fruition in Jesus and so his mission to the Gentiles is now open and so that is how Paul ends up in Philippians and that is why I think these verses here in the second chapter of Philippians really do sort of form the center of that of this entire letter so I know last week we touched just a little bit there on that uh, fifth verse, the first one that we read, and how to sort of look at and sort of translate it. Because there is a verb missing in the Greek manuscript that needs to be put in there that we need to put in in English into that particular verse. And different versions choose different ways to do that. And so that's kind of why we have been going through the different various translations. So last week was the Common English Bible, and this week is the Revised English Bible. And I'm not expecting you to remember what was read last week, but you can go back and watch the video if you want to, or just take my word on it that last week it was in, or be, 
have the mind that is in Christ Jesus. So really sort of going with that imitation theme. We're here. Take to heart among yourselves what you find in Christ Jesus. A slightly different kind of translation there. As opposed, as opposed to a form of the verb to be. And how we kind of understand this first verse, and this isn't the only thing, but kind of how we understand that the, this first verse of tonight's reading really oftentimes sort of determines the pattern in which we look at the rest of this hymn from Philippians. I'm going to set this down. There are sort of three main ways of doing that. One is to see it as an example, kind of as an ethical model where we are to be basically imitators of Christ. And there's a lot going for that particular translation or understanding of this hymn, but it doesn't necessarily take into account the last half. Those verses must be 9 through 11. And it also, I think, kind of portrays a sense of naive idealism. Because I don't think God really asked us to do the same things that Jesus did. And in fact, in some ways, what the hymn here in Philippians is saying, we as human beings can. If we think we can, that's usually where we have gone off the path. And things go awry very quickly. A second way of kind of looking at this particular passage, and this one is somewhat close to the first one, is rather than seeing Jesus as kind of the example or this hymn as sort of the example by which we are to sort of live an ethical life, it is to see Jesus more as an exemplar. And the hymn that is being talked about then as sort of an exemplar. And by exemplar, I sort of mean something that's kind of not abstract or very model-specific. Um, it's not about sort of following a, a uh, defined set of laws, but instead is kind of in some ways maybe more about the attitude or the spirit. Uh, and so in that understanding, it's not imitate Jesus in what he actually did, but to kind of take that sort of same sense of attitude in life in general. And so it would be one that kind of is looking at sort of being humble, uh, of not sort of using our places of privilege for our own benefit, um, and kind of along those lines as opposed to here's sort of a set of laws to follow. And then there's sort of the third. And the third is, I think, the best one because it does take into account sort of the entire hymn here in um, Philippians. And here, and I think here we aren't worried about using either as an example or exemplar, but instead the hymn is declaring an event that happened. And I think the thing, the, the thing for Paul is that this isn't just an ordinary event. This is a very specific, very life-changing event that has happened once. And so in that way, Christ sort of becomes obedient 
And then we get that last half of the hymn where Christ is now exalted over the world in the presence status as Lord, having subdued all the cosmic forces that trouble and distress humans. And that, I think, is really how Paul views the entire Christ event, that in Jesus something happened that has transformed not just his understanding of the world, but the world itself. It speaks of nothing sort of less than the end of the old age, when humanity is under the dominion of evil forces. And a lot of this is coming from sort of a German uh, New Testament scholar by the name of uh, Casement. In the beginning of a new age, or a new eon, where all the hostile powers have been defeated. And when we begin to look at this hymn in this way, I think a lot of other things in Paul begin to make sense. Paul has this very kind of apocalyptic understanding of the world, where there have been sort of two ages. That first age was the one before Christ. And this also kind of allows us to work with what Paul oftentimes is accused of not including that is Jesus's life. Paul talks very little about the actual things that Jesus does in his letters. He talks a lot about the cross and a lot about resurrection, but not about any of the miracles or the feeding of the 5,000 or any of the ethical teachings that he has. But if we understand this if we understand the Christ event in terms of sort of this apocalyptic understanding that I think Paul has, then Jesus's life isn't just sort of left off, but is included in this entire thing. And so Paul's not dismissing what Jesus did in person, because I think Paul holds a, that whole holistic understanding of what God is doing in Jesus. And so that then would include Jesus' life, which is summarized in the first half of this hymn, that, he, that Jesus was uh, essentially at the same level of God, but didn't exploit that, and instead used essentially that equality with God for the sake of others, even to the point of death on the cross. A death that comes because the world, and in particular Rome, cannot handle that way, Jesus' way of life in this world. But Rome doesn't have that final say. Death doesn't have that final say. Instead, it is God who has that final say, and God raises Jesus back up, bringing Jesus to that same exaltation saying that the, what Jesus has done is, in fact, the way that God had intended things to be from the very beginning. And that, for Paul at least, changes how he sees the world, changes who and what God is doing. And so that is why Paul is so adamant about getting out to the Gentiles, 
It's not because he has given up on his fellow Jews. He hasn't. And in fact, I think he sees them as being part of this sort of design plan already. For Paul, who is well steeped in the scriptures of Isaiah, understands that what had been what the prophets had foretold eons ago is has now come to fruition in Jesus and so his mission to the Gentiles is now open and so that is how Paul ends up in Philippians and that is why I think these verses here in the second chapter of Philippians really do sort of form the center of, that, of this entire letter.